Hey friend, welcome to The Ashley O Show. My name is Ashley O'Connor and I started this podcast when I became a nurse because I wanted a space where I could be honest about my experience caring for others. I knew I couldn't be alone. I'm talking about the fear, the obstacles, the trauma, and the challenges of working insane shifts, learning more than I thought possible, witnessing the most heart-wrenching and the most beautiful moments in a life, and doing it all while trying to take care of myself. Everyone said it was impossible to be healthy as a caregiver and I just refused to accept that as a reality. Now, I am living as a registered nurse turned health, fitness, and career coach for my fellow nurses and caregivers who are trudging through the same mud, trying to solve the mystery of how to stay healthy in a world that is telling you to put yourself last. The Ashley O Show is a space where nurses and caregivers come together to understand that their identity extends beyond the humans that they care for, where the hardest workers in the room can have honest and authentic conversations about what is holding them back and the changes needed to move forward. I am here to help you fit nutrition, fitness, and self-care into a life built around 12-hour shifts. It doesn't have to be complicated. It's definitely going to be scary, but it's also going to be more beautiful than you ever imagined. So it's time we commit to putting ourselves first, chasing uncertainty, and building stronger lives, careers, bodies, and minds than we thought possible. I'm so glad that you're here and I cannot wait to see the ways in which we change the world. What is up, my friends? Welcome back to the podcast. I'm really excited because as I'm recording this right now, we are packing up to head to our next location in our digital nomad journey. So we're off to Georgia from Rhode Island, where we currently are. And that means things are kind of hectic and crazy, but we're also just so excited about going to a new place. This is also going to be a spot where it's just my husband and I and our pets, which I am really excited about. We've had roommates for about a year now, and I think I'm ready to just be with my husband again. So I'm really excited. I'm saying all of this, and I realize that if any of you are new here, you're like, what in the heck is she talking about? So just as really quick background, <laughs> my husband and I have been living for the past year as digital nomads, meaning that we are working remotely and living in different places for a few months at a time around the United States. So, so far, we've been in Denver, we've been in Bozeman, Montana, we've been in Westerly, Rhode Island, and now we're heading off to Augusta, Georgia, where I don't think there's too much going on, which honestly sounds good to me right now, but we really wanted to be close to Savannah, Georgia, and being in Savannah itself was really expensive. So we found a location that's just outside, and it's about two hours from everything that we wanted to explore, which for us is no longer a long drive, like that's an easy drive. So two hours to Savannah, two hours to Charleston, a couple hours from Atlanta, like we can kind of explore the entire area. So we're really excited. And to also head towards slightly warmer weather sounds really good right now, because all of this weather here in Westerly is making me realize how much I don't miss the Northeast. (laughs) I grew up here, but I have no interest in moving back, which I know breaks my family's heart because they all live here, but it's just not happening. I need somewhere warmer. I need dry and I need the sun. Like those are my requirements in life, basically, which is why Arizona always felt like a great place. And we will be heading back there actually after Georgia for a few months, which I'm really excited about. 
But anyways, that is just a quick update on what's going on on my end of the world. But I'm excited too for this episode because I've got sort of a new structure that I want to kind of play with with some of these episodes. I also see this as an opportunity for all of you to get a little bit more involved with this podcast because that's really what I want. I want you guys to be part of this process. I want to bring you on the air. I want to hear your stories. I want to get to know each and every one of you. And I think there's so much value in nurses sharing their stories, their insights, the lessons they learned with each other, because then we build this community of supportive nurses, which is what's going to change nursing culture for the better overall. So on episodes like this, we're going to start with a story and end with a skill. So those story and the skill may be completely disconnected. They may be completely separate topics, but I want to start bringing storytelling into this podcast so that you get to hear from me, from my nursing experience, from your fellow nurses, from nurses that I connect with. So any interviews that I'm going to do, they're going to tell a story from their experience as well. And you guys are going to have the chance to start telling me your stories and having them featured on this podcast. And I think that that storytelling really just allows us to transfer knowledge in a way that isn't really possible anymore, unfortunately, because we're losing so many of our senior nurses. Our nurses with experience are leaving and we are losing a whole lot of knowledge. And so I think if we can just get in the habit of transferring that knowledge and sharing it with stories, that's going to go such a long way. So we're starting with a story on these episodes and then we'll move right into a skill so that you have something tangible to take away. Now, the story and the skill may be completely unrelated. They might be related, but I want you to have something that you can take from the episode and apply to your nursing practice. So this might mean that we talk about a specific topic that's important in nursing and break it down into tactical steps. We may talk about a skill that you need and break that down with some tips that are going to be helpful for that practice itself. We may talk about a procedure like the world is our oyster when it comes to the skill portion. That is just more specific, tangible advice for your nursing practice. And with our stories, we can share the highs and the lows of nursing, we can incorporate that knowledge transfer and really just lean into the humanity of this profession. Okay, so enough explaining. We're just going to dive right into today's episode. So I want to start with a story. And this is from my nursing practice, but it is something that just always stuck with me, an experience that I had, and one that I think is going to resonate with some of you and maybe just act as a reminder for some of you. So we're going to talk about hair care for your patients. And this may sound a little like out of left field, like why are we talking about hair care for our patients? But this was always a really important thing for me in my nursing practice. If you are an OG listener here on the Ashley O Show, formerly the nursing co-op, then you've probably heard some of these stories. But I want to share them again because one, they just bring joy to me in so many ways, and I think they can bring joy to you as well. But they also have some really important lessons in them that are going to segue right into the skill that we're talking about today. So as an ICU nurse, I became obsessed with hair care for my patients. I obviously focused on all the other things that they needed. The hair care was always an extra, but I think that that's actually really unfortunate that it's just an extra, a thing that we can't always do for our patients, especially in the ICU where most of those patients can't do that for themselves because it's so much more than appearances. It's so much more than just hair. It actually goes down to people, the patients that you take care of feeling like humans. 
Because especially in a critical care setting, you lose all of that. You're thrown in a gown. You often have tubes everywhere. You may be intubated and sedated and your family can only see you in certain times. And maybe it's through an iPad, which was often my experience. You're constantly going in their rooms to do all of these turns and you're kind of tilting their head, but their hair is just matting underneath them and their sweat and oil and everything else kind of accumulating on their scalp. I can't even imagine what it feels like to wake up after being sedated or intubated and what that, what your scalp must feel like, how itchy it must feel, how gross you must feel, and just how inhuman you must feel when you have just the gown and you haven't showered and all you've had are these like wipe downs with like wipes and no rinse soaps. And so I'm sure your skin just feels sticky and dry and uncomfortable. Like I just can't imagine that feeling. And the hair is one piece of this that if I could as, as a nurse, especially working on night shift, I always tried to take care of my patient's hair because it was one thing that gave them back that piece of being a human and feeling clean and okay. I remember there was one patient who was intubated, but was awake and honestly did so well on the vent. She would just like be sitting up in her room texting while she has this tube down her throat, like was the sweetest woman in the whole world. But her hair was a giant mess because we had just been turning her and she was sedated for a bit. And so it was matted and we really you can't get in there to like scrub a scalp in, in many ways. And then your hair gets all knotted and it feels so uncomfortable. And I remember there was an evening when I was taking care of her and I had the time to spend some good time with her. And I asked her, if she wanted me to wash her hair and maybe put it up in some braids. Now, of course, I don't know how to braid. This is the skill I always wanted to learn because it would have been really helpful, but I knew that we always had somebody on the unit that knew how to braid. So I got all of my supplies and in the ICU, we always had, there were these amazing nurses that I worked with and they, they had a locker with like a secret stash of detangler and like conditioner and combs and elastics and these things that were for the patients and for their care that were extra special. Like these nurses bought these things themselves and I replenished. So I would go to Dollar Tree or wherever I could and buy these things as well and fill the the locker back up. But these are like nurse funded gifts to their patients, which is just a beautiful thing. So I washed her hair and I conditioned it. We detangled everything. We braided it. And at the end, she, she cried because she didn't feel like a human that whole time because she was stuck in this bed. She couldn't do the things that she normally did. She hasn't, she hadn't seen her family and she felt gross and her hair was a mess and her scalp itched. And that was one act that just gave her back some level of feeling okay and <laughs> feeling like she was herself. I just want you all to remember that it's those little things that we can do for our patients that go so far that impact them in bigger ways than any like suctioning is going to do or you know any dressing change is going to do like all those things definitely have an impact of course like we don't want them to get infections and everything else like there's other factors there but the little acts of kindness the little ways that we treat our patients like humans the humans that they are are what impacts their mental health through their healing journey the most. And that is often the most neglected piece. Like we're all worried about the physical health and we don't think about the mental health of our patients. 
And of course, just as a, I have to throw this in there, we're not really thinking about the mental health of our nurses either. And that is very unfortunate. But I will say this, the little acts of kindness like that, when I would have the time to take care of my patients and comb out their hair and braid them and make sure that they were comfortable and looked the best, I felt like a better nurse. I felt more fulfilled by what I did day in and day out. And here's the thing that we may not realize is that sometimes taking care of our patient's scalp and taking care of their hair, these little acts of kindness that we think of as extras may actually be saving them their life, maybe saving them from an infection, maybe saving them from a wound. So I had a patient when it was COVID, he was young and he had long hair. He was intubated, sedated, paralyzed the whole nine yards when it came to COVID. And this long hair that he had was tied up in a bun or a ponytail or something. And it was since the day he got in. Because of course, when he first got there and was extremely sick and needed emergency care and intubation and being in the ICU and getting him stabilized, we're not worrying about his hair. That is 100% the correct priority and correct series of events. But as he kind of quote unquote, stabilized in the sense that we had him sedated enough and he was comfortable at, at the very least and was intubated on stable on the vent, obviously not stable in his health. But once we got him to that point, there was a time where I was looking at his hair, especially on turns and just being like, this is a mess. I have to find time to do this man's hair. He was also a really large gentleman. And so just doing the turns and everything, we did our best, but I don't think the quality of those turns was as high as it was for some other patients too. So his head probably wasn't being rotated and moved around enough. And so just think of what was happening on his scalp. So he's got some hair tie in the back there. He's a larger person. So he's in a berry bed and that pressure is not great either. That's, you know, it's full of air and sometimes it sinks in and whatever else. But that hair elastic is just putting pressure on his scalp over and over and over again. And with every turn, we're just adding friction. And I remember one night I had the time I got all the supplies and dove in and just getting his hair out of that hair elastic. I mean, we had to like pull him up so that his head was sort of not hanging off the end, but was exposed enough that I could get to all of his hair and really like get in there with shampoo and conditioner. And once I got it all detangled and clean and everything else, looking at his scalp, he had a significant pressure injury on the back of his head, on the back of his scalp where the hair tie was. And you guys know the impact that pressure injuries have. It's no joke. It's no like little wound that we don't pay attention to. This is a, an issue for the hospital at this point. And it's an issue for this patient who's already extremely sick because now we have a wound. We have an open wound. We have an injury that was simply caused by not paying attention to his hair and to his scalp. Luckily, we caught it. We took care of it. We made sure that his scalp and his hair were clean from that point forward. And that healed really well. And actually, he recovered incredibly well. We were really worried for a, a period of time about him. But I just want you to take away a couple big things from these very brief stories. One is that the small things that you do for your patients have huge impacts. And the ways that we can take care of our patients, that we can go above and beyond in a lot of ways and treat them like the humans that they are, is going to have a lasting impact on their mental health, which is going to improve their recovery. And also, just doing these simple acts like taking care of their hair or their scalp, things that we think are extra, may actually save them from 
hospital-acquired infections and injuries and things that they don't deserve and we don't want for them. And this actually leads us right into the skill that we're going to be briefly talking about today. I'm going to keep this really short and sweet because I want this to be simple and tangible reminders for you, but we're talking about hospital-acquired infections. Now, you guys probably hear about these day in, day out because our hospitals track these because they cost the hospitals money, and so they do not want any hospital-acquired infections. So the whole intention is to reduce those. And yes, it's for the patients, but it's also for the money that your hospital is looking for. This is a business. Unfortunately, in so many ways, especially in the United States, healthcare is a business. So I think sometimes hearing about hospital-acquired infections, we all get kind of burnt out from it and kind of annoyed because we know that the undertones are this is costing the hospital money and therefore is not okay. But we also know at the end of the day that these infections are a problem. They're an issue for our patients and for patient care. We don't want our patients to be sicker than they already are. We don't want them to develop these resistant bacteria either. So any sort of hospital-acquired infections, this matters. So I'm going to talk about four things. Now, there are giant lists of all the things we can be doing to reduce hospital-acquired infections, but I want to focus on these four because I think that they are some of the most important. And honestly, the simplest reminders that you already know, but we sometimes need to be reminded about. So of course, with the sickest patients, we can't always prevent these. They're gonna happen, unfortunately. But there are some things as nurses that we can do to reduce their occurrence. So the first, you know it already, I'm sure you're screaming it from your car, but it's hand hygiene. We know this, we hear it over and over and over again. But here's the thing, here's the reminder that I want to give you, especially when you are extraordinarily busy and you're stretched really thin and you're bouncing around from patient to patient and you've been doing this for a while, it's really easy to get complacent. And that complacency is not only harming your patient, but it's going to harm you. You don't need to walk away from the hospital carrying anything beyond your nursing bag. Hand hygiene is one of the simplest things you can do, but it's also the easiest thing not to do. Now, there's hand sanitizer everywhere, but I mean, that is a great solution just when you're in, in a pinch and you need something quick, but there's nothing like actually washing your hands with soap and water. And it's also just better for your skin because... If you're anything like me, especially during the pandemic, oh my God, my hands cracked. They were broken open. My skin was a mess. And that was a combination of just a lot of hand washing, but also a lot of hand sanitizer, which just dries out your skin. They add moisturizers, but I don't think they work all that great. And we all know that when we have infections like C. diff, we need to be washing our hands with soap and water. That hand sanitizer is not going to do anything. And guess what? C. diff just sits everywhere on surfaces and can live for so long, which is creepy. (laughs) So washing our hands with soap and water is going to make a significant impact. Now, again, I know this is like the most basic thing, but you need the reminder today as you're driving into work, as you're going to do your thing, just focus on that one thing today, hand hygiene taking care of that for your patients. Think about it as an act of care. And if you are training or precepting someone today, even if they've heard it a million times, just tell them as well. And also tell everyone else on the healthcare team, because I don't know, God, there's nothing that annoyed me more than being the nurse who was the one who was using the hand sanitizer and washing my hands and cleaning the surfaces and all the things, and then watching 
doctor's round and not touch any of those items. Never wash their hands. Go from patient room to patient room and never put hand sanitizer on. So incredibly infuriating. Or any other healthcare team member. Now, this is not to say that nurses don't also do this sometimes, but as the nurse, you are the advocate for your patient. So if you see this happening, we need to call it out. Doctors and respiratory therapists and physical therapists and occupational therapists, other nurses, techs, whoever, we all need to be doing this because we're all a team when it comes to patient care. It's not just on us nurses. Okay, second thing is environmental care. So you're washing your hands and watching your body <laughs> when it comes to trying to prevent the spread of these infections, but we also need to be cleaning the environment. Now, we have teams that are responsible for this. So that might be environmental services in your hospital. They might be called just the cleaning staff. It depends what their, the title or the label is, but there's environmental care that needs to happen. And while that we do have people who are dedicated to that role. It's also your role. I know you have a lot on your plate, but making sure that your patient's room is clean, especially if they have any sort of infection or virus that could be spread, we need to make sure that we are keeping surfaces clean, that we are making sure that our patients are clean, that we are making sure that our trash is taken out and all those little things add up. So we need a clean environment to stop the spread of infection. Again, I know you know this, but let this just be a reminder so that we don't fall into complacency. The third piece is maintaining sterile technique when you need to. So we're talking about catheters. Anytime you're inserting a catheter, make sure that you are sterile. I know sometimes that you can break sterile field and that feels embarrassing and we don't want to talk about it, but we need to. Just suck it up. Be embarrassed for two seconds. Ask for a new kit. Ask for new gloves. Whatever it is, however you broke the sterile field, but do your patient a favor and swallow your pride. So catheter insertions, dressing changes for central lines, we need to make sure that we are sterile, trach care, and any procedures that you are doing. If you are currently working in a procedural setting, sterile field is incredibly important the moment you are opening up a body in any way or doing any sort of invasive procedure. And once more, this is not just on the nurses, but I can't tell you, like working in the cath lab, how often you saw the surgeons break sterile field touching something. And oh my God, we had the most incredible team in the cath lab, especially our techs. Like they would call them out every single time, which was just incredible. Because again, I think it's so easy sometimes to feel embarrassed or to feel afraid to call a surgeon or a doctor out because you're afraid that they're going to get mad at you or whatever else. And some of them do. But God, our team was incredible at calling it out whenever doctors broke sterile field. But that's all of our responsibility. And that's your responsibility too if you are doing the dressing change or the catheter or helping a surgeon or whatever and you break sterile field. We need to just be honest about it. It's okay. You are not the only one that does it. We've all done it. I can't tell you how many folies I put in and touch something I wasn't supposed to or double touch something and be like, oh, I need a new, I need a new set of gloves. So infuriating. But that's just a part of nursing. You aren't alone. You aren't an idiot. You aren't bad at your job. That's just part of it. Okay, and the last thing I have is a little bit more of a soapbox item. But when you do research, when you hear about this in school, when you hear about this amongst your team, when you talk about reducing healthcare-associated infections, the blame is always placed on the workers. The blame is always placed on the nurses, on the techs, on the doctors, on the individuals who are on the front lines. The blame is always placed on us. It's always our fault that 
our patients are getting infections when let's be real it's not the issue. It is not really the issue that nurses aren't washing their hands enough. Like I can remind you all day, like, yes, do your hand hygiene, environmental care, sterile technique, 100%. I can drive that home all day long. But when you are drowning, because you keep getting more patients and less support, these infections are going to happen. So the fourth thing, we're going to take the blame off of you because you never deserved it. And we're going to put it right back on the system. Appropriate nurse-patient ratios significantly reduce infections in hospitals. And we have study after study to clinically prove that this is true. We also have evidence. So if you look in somewhere like California, where there are mandated nurse-patient ratios that are safer and lower than most other places, they have lower hospital-acquired infections. The exception to all of this is always going to be 2020. When you look at some of that data, everything went up because we were all drowning. But in general, hospitals in California have lower hospital-acquired infections and let's not pretend that it has nothing to do with the fact that they have safer nurse-patient ratios. There was actually a really valuable study that came out of the Pennsylvania healthcare system. This is just specific to their state, but you can 100% apply the results to every other state because we're all in the same boat. But what they found, essentially, they were looking at whether there was a correlation between the workload of the nurses, so their nurse-patient ratios, and the incidence of UTIs and surgical site infections. So I'm not going to go into all of the details of the study, but when it comes to the results, what they found was that increasing the workload for a nurse by just one patient was associated with significant increases in urinary tract infections and surgical site infections. And of course, this depends on whether the nurse is on the floor or the ICU, there's other factors. But what they were identifying was essentially an association between overworked and burnt out nurses and increased numbers of hospital-acquired infections. And that overworked, burnt-out situation was being caused by increasing nurse-to-patient ratios and increasing responsibility and burden being placed on the nurses. And here's the kicker. What they found was that if we could reduce the number of burnt-out nurses in the Pennsylvania hospital system, but I think globally we can apply the same logic, if we can reduce the number of burnt-out nurses by 10%, about 4,160 infections would be prevented, and that would save the Pennsylvania hospital system $41 million. Maybe I'm just not a millionaire yet, but $41 million seems pretty significant when it comes to savings for a healthcare system. These are the type of numbers that I see, and I'm like, oh my God, I just wish I could drill this into hospital administrators and just the system in general to see the value. Because we all care about nurse-patient ratios because we know that it impacts the mental health of nurses and the quality of life and the number of nurses leaving and everything in between. Like We know that that's the impact. But if we can put numbers to it, if we can also say, like, when you do this, it's costing you $41 million, maybe they listen a little bit better. And maybe I'm just being too optimistic. I don't know. But here's what I want you to take away from this. You can 100%, I want you to be reminded to make sure that you are taking care of hand hygiene, the environmental care, and sterile technique for your patients, because we want to give them the best care that we can. But I also want to shift some of the blame off of you when it comes to hospital-acquired infections and put them back on a broken system. The ratios, the work, and the burden that's being placed on you as a nurse right now is not fair. It's not okay. 
And it's costing not only you in your health, but also our patient's health. So while I want you to focus on the other three tips that I gave you, I also want you to give yourself a little grace and do your best because you are just trying to survive in a profession that's struggling right now in a system that's just not working for you right now. It's not okay that you keep getting more patience and more work and less help. It's not okay that you don't have the support that you need. So the next time that somebody says that you need to be doing more to stop hospital-acquired infections, this is your opportunity to stand up and say that you, the other person, needs to be doing more to protect you so that you can be actually reducing hospital-acquired infections. If they make your quality of work better, your patients' lives improve. It's actually pretty simple. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on either of these topics, hair care or hospital-acquired infections. I'd love to hear your stories that might be associated with either, your input, your take on whether this has to do with nurses or the system itself. And don't forget, if you haven't already, jump into the show notes and there's a link for you to sign up for completely free nurse coffee chats that are going to be coming up either December 8th or December 15th. I will tell you probably in this upcoming week which day it's going to be based on the feedback from each and every one of you signing up. But I really want you to be there. This is just a free chance for us to get to know each other, for us to connect, and for us to build support and change nursing culture from the ground up. It starts with us and it starts with building community. I hope you got something from this episode. If anything, I just hope you got a laugh or a connection, something. And if you did, I would absolutely love it if you would share it with another nurse so that we can build our community here in the Ashley O Show. And I just want you to know, if nobody else has told you, I love you. I am rooting for you. You are doing an incredible job. And I'm going to see you next time. Thank you so much for listening in and committing to your growth in a world that is telling you to stay small. Seriously, it means the absolute world to me. If this episode hit home for you, it would be amazing if you could share it with your friends or fellow caregivers and tag me at Ashley O Show so that I can personally thank you. That way we can build an army of nurses, healthcare workers, and caregivers who are changing the narrative around what is possible and healing the system from the ground up. I will see you next time. I love you and I am always rooting for you.